So a long time ago, the only survivor of a shipwreck washed up on a small, uninhabited island. This man cried out to God to save him, and every day he scanned the horizon for help, but none came. Exhausted, he eventually managed to build a a small hut uh, just from what he could find, and he put the few possessions he had left in the hut. Uh, And so he stuck on this island, no help came. Uh, He's kind of finally settling into the reality of his fate. Uh, But then one day, after hunting for food, he arrived to his little hut to find it in flames. And there was smoke rolling up to the sky, and his, his little hut with all his possessions, the little bit that he had left after all that had happened to him, was destroyed. And he couldn't believe it. He was stung with grief. After everything that had already happened to him, he lost everything that he had left. So he just laid down in the sand and went to sleep. He didn't know what else to do. Then early the next morning when he woke up, he looked out on the horizon and saw a ship coming to the island. And so the ship came and arrived and the crew came and rescued him. And he was so surprised after everything that happened. He said, how did you know I was here? And the crew said, well, we were passing by and we saw your smoke signal. When his hut had burned to the ground, devouring everything that he had left, He thought that all hope was lost, but in the end, his hut burning down became his salvation. Though he didn't realize it in the moment, his hut burning down was actually a blessing in disguise. Have you ever felt like that before? Like nothing was going your way, or like everything in life was working against you just to discover that God was actually working through those bad experiences and through those events to bring about something greater in your life. If you have, you'll probably be able to relate really well this week to what Paul was experiencing when he wrote the letter to the Philippian church. Last week we started this new series on the letter to the Philippians, and we're still kind of in the opening part of this letter. Last week we saw Paul giving this this prayer of thanks to God for the Philippian church and for their incredible faith. And he prayed for them that they would continue to grow and continue to learn and continue to mature in their faith. And this week we're coming to this place where Paul begins to assure them that he's personally doing okay. Because when Paul wrote this letter, he was in prison or under house arrest. So Paul understood what it feels like to be stuck. Paul was an evangelist. He wanted to be out preaching the good news and spreading the gospel and the love of Jesus to the world. But even though he had all these plans for where he was going to go and what he was going to do next, he was being held back from doing it. He was given, as an apostle, the highest calling on his life that could be given by Jesus, to go and disciple the nations for him. But instead, he found himself stuck in prison, literally handcuffed, to a Roman guard. I cannot imagine the immensity of his frustration because he just wanted to go and preach about Jesus, but all he can do is write these letters to people while he's stuck in a room somewhere. But what we'll see from Scripture today is that although Paul was being physically held back from his ministry, God was using his captivity 
to spread the good news faster than he ever could have done on his own. Because the gospel overcomes all adversity. It cannot be held back. So today, we're going to read Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 18, if you have your Bible with you. And I'll read that. Now I want you to know, brothers, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel, and the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. So, when we started this letter, he, he had this prayer of thankfulness for the church in Philippi. And that's what we read through last week. And now he's, he's kind of starting to let them know about his own personal situation. Uh, and it's kind of something that we forget when we read these letters, is that, you know, while there was a lot of teaching here, they were letters. Uh, this was something that someone was writing to someone else to let them know how they were. And so, you know, there's often these personal notes and letters in the Bible that we kind of skip over. Like in some letters it'll be, you know, let so-and-so know that I'm thinking about them, or let so-and-so know that I'm happy with what they're doing, or just these little extra notes about people that aren't significant to us today. Uh, so we kind of get this idea that, you know, just like I might write a letter to family, um, these are personal letters uh, with all this teaching that's important for us today as well. So when Paul's writing this letter, uh, he, he wants to let them know that, they're doing, that he's doing okay because they were his friends. And so he, he, they were probably aware by now that uh, he was in prison. And so they were probably pretty worried because back then they didn't have telephones or the internet. They couldn't just give him a call and say, you know, how, how are you doing? Are you, you're all right. Probably they'd heard a rumor that Paul's in prison somewhere and they might be freaking out a little bit. Uh, and, and so he's writing to let them know that he's doing okay. Uh, they might have even sent messengers for all we know, to find out how he's doing. We, we really don't know, but um, we do see that they were concerned for his well-being, and that's why Paul says, now I want you to know that everything's actually working out. Everything's actually working out for the best. He says that his circumstances have actually turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Uh, he says, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well-known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And if you ever study ancient history or Roman history, the Praetorian Guard were the ones who were stationed in Rome. They kind of oversaw the emperor and all of the, the royal household. So we know that he's imprisoned in Rome. So he's saying, yes, I'm in prison, but despite this obstruction to my ministry and the potential dangers ahead, his imprisonment has resulted in a powerful witness for Jesus. And it's actually resulted in a triumph of the good news of Jesus in the place he's under arrest. Because of his arrest, the people who are guarding him and the rest of this household where he's being held know that he's there for Jesus. They can tell 
from interacting with him. He's not a lawbreaker. They know that he doesn't deserve to be there. They know that the only reason he's in prison is because of what he believes about Jesus. And it's changing lives because everyone wants to know why he's there. If he's not a lawbreaker, why is he under arrest? Everyone wants to know what is so offensive and exciting about Jesus that they would lock Paul up for talking about him. Because he's locked up, people are coming to Jesus. And the, the word progress here in Greek, uh, it actually means advancement or continuation or work or labor. So Paul's saying that because he's in prison, the good news is advancing and continuing, despite the fact that he's being held back. The work of the gospel is reaping benefits that it would not be if he were a free man. So what he's saying is that he recognizes that God is working through his misfortune. No matter what happens to him personally, the gospel will continue to spread and grow. But it isn't just affecting the people in the prison. He says that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. So this is just the people, the average people in the churches. So not only is the gospel advancing in the people around him where he's in prison, his imprisonment is causing the church at large to get excited and become bold about their faith. They're doing things that they didn't used to before he was in prison. They used to be timid, but Paul is giving them an example to live by. They, they see that he's in prison for his faith, but they see his attitude, his fortitude, and the power of the gospel despite his imprisonment. If chains and bars can't stop the gospel, then they have nothing to fear. And so the people in the churches see this, and they see his courage, and they're becoming courageous because of it. It's, it's not as much as Paul being in prison as much as his attitude while in prison. Because back then, if you're in prison for something like this, if they portrayed you as a threat to the empire, you'd be put to death. So he's potentially facing a death sentence, but he's still strong in spirit. He's in this house arrest scenario, and he's still ministering to the churches through messengers and letters. He's still working. And he's also ministering to those around him in the prison, the guards and the attendants. And that's why the people in the churches are encouraged. They're seeing the raw power of the Holy Spirit unfolding before their eyes. The more that people are trying to stop it from growing, the more it's growing. It's actually causing it to grow faster. But it's not all sunshine and rainbows. Verses 15 to 18 says, Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ from envy and strife but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. But the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. And this is kind of weird for us looking back, because we have the full picture of who Paul really was. Uh, but not everyone was actually a fan of Paul. To us, looking back, we see that he's an apostle ordained by Jesus, to carry out the mission given to all the apostles, to go and make disciples. But back then, there were a lot of people preaching. And there were a lot of people telling the good news of Jesus, and also a lot of people telling other things. And they were not all apostles. 
So the truth is that back then, they actually had competition. In fact, a lot of the letters that were written, you'll see um, statements that are meant to refute false teaching or erroneous teaching that was being spread by some of these teachers. Now, not all of them were false teachers. There were people who were teaching false doctrine. There were people who were totally fine, nothing wrong with them. Their preaching was great. Uh, they were just evangelists. And then there were some that weren't teaching false doctrine, but they were preaching with bad intentions or, or bad motives. Out of jealousy or competition with the apostles and other evangelists as well. And, and that's the type of preacher that Paul's talking about here. See, these are people who do not like Paul. Uh, they don't like the popularity of the following that he has, uh, whether they're jealous of it or, or whatever. We don't know who they are for sure, but we can see that once he's in prison, they're kind of coming out of the woods and using that imprisonment to their advantage. They, they see that Paul's sidelined, so they can kind of come out now and try and get a following. We can take some guesses as who they are. Um, there, there's clearly people who were jealous of the influence that Paul had in the first century. Uh, again, we can assume they're not false teachers because Paul says that their preaching is good despite it being out of envy and strife. They're still preaching the gospel. So he's refuting their motives, not their teaching. So they're not false teachers. Most likely these were Christians and people who had come to Christ who did not like Paul and wanted him to remain in prison so that they could benefit from it. But Paul also says there's people preaching out of love with good intentions. And those, those are the people who believe that Paul is an ambassador for Jesus, that he's being wrongfully imprisoned, and they're just trying to help him out while he's stuck in jail. So they know Paul's sidelined, they know the work has to continue, so they're just trying to help him out while he's sidelined. They're picking up the mantle to keep the progress growing. And we know that dozens of people can do a lot more than one person can. So we're seeing this exponential growth because people are helping Paul. So Paul is stuck in prison, yeah. But people are being saved because he's in prison. People are preaching with good intentions to help him. There's also people preaching with bad intentions, but they're still preaching the gospel. But these people were trying to discredit Paul and boost their own position. And I can't imagine how frustrating that would have been for him to be locked in prison with these people going around taking advantage of it because they don't like him. But Paul says, what then? And this is a very literal translation. It's what we call a word-for-word -word translation when you're studying the Bible. So what that means is that they took the Greek manuscript and translated it as literally as possible. What is the most, what's the closest English equivalent to these words? And so it doesn't always carry the thought as well. So a more appropriate thought-for-thought -thought translation, what's the thought that he was trying to convey, would be, but what does it matter? What does it matter why they're preaching about Jesus? He says that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is being proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Saying, why does it matter why they're preaching? Why does it matter whether people are preaching from good intentions or bad intentions, with good or bad morals? As Paul is assessing this division in the church, he's happy. Why is he happy about division? 
Well, he's not happy about the division. He's happy that, regardless of the reasons, Christ is still being preached while he's being held back. The gospel is still advancing. It's still moving. He'd made plans to do more mission work and ended up in prison instead. But God was using his imprisonment to spread the gospel through the guards and the staff. People are taking advantage of his imprisonment for personal gain, but the gospel is being spread through them too. However much Paul might hate their motives, and he does hate their motives, he's filled with joy because the Holy Spirit is working through that division and through the bad motives to spread the gospel. The good news about Jesus. Paul was locked up for preaching about Jesus, and his opponents took advantage of that fact to boost their own standing, but it was not enough to stop the gospel because the gospel overcomes all adversity. So how does this apply to us today? You know, we see Paul telling his friends about these specific circumstances that he was in. So how does that apply to us 2,000 years later? So first of all, the gospel is more important, or sorry, the gospel is more powerful than our plans. We like to think we're good planners, and some of us are really good planners. Paul was a good planner. He was planning his next mission trip. He knew where the gospel needed to be preached next. He was writing about where he was going to go, and he was ready to go and preach. He also was planning visits to churches that he'd already ministered to, to check in on them and to continue the work he started. He'd planned all this stuff. He was a great planner. But instead, he found himself under house arrest. So that definitely threw a bit of a wrench into his plans. It's hard to go on a mission trip when you're locked up. Paul had plans for spreading the gospel, for continuing God's work, but his plans didn't go out the way that he thought they would. Now, thank goodness for him that the gospel was much more powerful than his plans. Paul's plans were ruined because he was put into prison. But God used his imprisonment to fuel the next stage of the evangelism fire in the first century church. Through his imprisonment, his guards and the prison staff were exposed to the gospel. And through his imprisonment, the church was given courage, like never before, to preach the good news about Jesus. God even used the people who were taking advantage of the situation for their own benefit to spread the gospel. Through his imprisonment, the gospel was spread so much farther than Paul ever could have done if he was not locked up. It spread way farther and fueled a fire that was bigger than him. Now, like Paul, we're good at planning too. But also like Paul, we often find that our plans don't work out the way that we thought they would. But God will often use the inconveniences and the roadblocks in life to work his plan. So how might God use the inconveniences and the roadblocks in your life to work his plan in the world around you? How might God work in the times when everything doesn't go according to your plan? And are you open and willing to allow him to work through you when everything that you have worked for falls apart? Second, the gospel is more powerful than our struggles. 
And that's good news because we all have struggles in life. And Paul could definitely relate to this in his house arrest. And I keep saying that he was in prison, but it's partially true. But he wasn't actually in a prison. He was imprisoned. He was under house arrest. So he had some freedom. But house arrest 2,000 years ago did not look the same way that it does today. If I tell you that someone's under house arrest, you kind of picture someone locked in their house and they have an ankle bracelet around their ankle, and maybe there's, I don't know, some, some RCMP officer stationed outside of your house or kind of doing patrols. But that's not how it worked back then. They didn't have ankle bracelets. What they would do is chain a Roman guard to your wrist 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and they lived with you all the time. They were your ankle bracelet. I can't even imagine, because I'm an introvert, Paul had no moment to himself, no privacy, during his entire time under house arrest. There was always someone chained to him, whether he was eating or sleeping or using the washroom, writing letters, praying, all the time. And again, I'm an introvert. I enjoy having moments to myself. That sounds like torture. I would almost just be rather thrown into a first century prison. (laughs) To know that no moment is truly your own. And while he was being constantly watched, Paul knew that at the same time there were people out there actively trying to destroy his ministry. Paul knew what it was like to have struggles in life. But through his house arrest, Paul began to work wonders. Because those guards were chained to him night and day, they could see that he was no lawbreaker. They saw what he was like. He was allowed to have visitors, and they could see his interactions with these visitors. They would have seen clearly that he was a peaceful man, and that he was only being locked up for what he believed. They would have seen whenever he wrote letters and had visitors, which means that they received a full dose of the gospel just from proximity, from being locked up to him. And because of that, many people were saved. The gospel advanced through the guards and through the attendants just because Paul was there under house arrest. Because the gospel was more powerful than the struggles that Paul was facing. And it's more powerful than the struggles that we face as well. Because we all face struggles in life. So how might God use our struggles to work his will? How might God work through our pain and work through our grief and our anger to advance the gospel in the world around us and to share the good news with those in our vicinity? The third thing to take away from this is that the gospel is more powerful than our failings. And that's very good news because we all fail. We all have issues and we all have struggled To be Christ-like. Because we're human. We're sinful, broken people. We are all running a race. And the goal is to be like Jesus. But we all fail every day. I know I sure do. The sad truth is that sometimes we're all affected by bad motives. Or jealousy. Or anger. Or bitterness. And it's because we feel emotions such as pride humiliation, and a longing to be recognized and loved. And when we don't have our ego stroked, 
or we feel like we've been humiliated or embarrassed, or we feel like we're not being recognized for our work, or we just don't feel loved and accepted, then we become jealous and angry and bitter and start to act with poor motivations. Many, many people were beginning to preach with these poor motives while Paul was in prison. They were jealous and angry and bitter towards Paul. And so they were using his imprisonment for their advantage. They knew that while he was sidelined, they could make a move to grow their own popularity base. But the gospel was more powerful than their failings. When Paul gives his reaction to this, we see that he was happy about it. He was just happy they were preaching the gospel. Even through their selfishness and division, the gospel was advancing because God will use whatever is there. The good news is that we don't have to be perfect for God to use us. They were taking advantage of a situation for their own benefit. But God used their selfishness, jealousy, and bitterness to spread the gospel even farther through them. They saw it as them versus Paul. Paul was happy because he wasn't playing that same game. It wasn't about him versus them. It was about Jesus. So he was just happy that they were preaching the gospel. And they didn't get that. But the gospel was more powerful than their failings. And it's more powerful than our failings as well. So my question for you is, how might God use your imperfections and your failings to complete his perfect work in the world around you? So in conclusion, if you remember anything from this sermon, it should be that the gospel is more powerful than all adversity. Nothing can stop it. Paul was thrown in prison for it, and it just made the church bolder and more courageous to preach the gospel. He was chained to a guard day and night, so the gospel spread through the guards. People use his imprisonment to preach the gospel in an attempt to undermine Paul and gain their own following. But through their actions, the gospel spread even farther still. The gospel, the good news about Jesus, was too powerful to be held back or hindered by human hands. It's more powerful than our plans. It's more powerful than our struggles in life. And it's more powerful than our failings and our imperfections. And as we go about our lives, we should be mindful of that. And we should be mindful of our calling to share the good news of Jesus to the world as a church. We should be open to God's ability to work through our plans, but also his ability to work through the times when human plans fail. We should be open to God's ability to work through our grief, our struggles, and our hurt. And we should be open to God's ability to work through our imperfections and our failings to reach a broken and hurting world around us. Just as Paul saw that his personal circumstances were actually working for the greater good of the church, he was able to see God's hand in his life, even as messed up as his circumstances were. And my hope and prayer for all of us is that we would be open and ready for God to use us as we are, wherever life takes us. I'll close in prayer. Father God, I thank you that you don't need us to be perfect. 
I thank you that the good news about Jesus is too powerful for us to hinder it. I just ask that, despite that, you would help us to be open and ready to be used by you, and to not get in the way. But I still thank you that if we do, you'll still use us. I just ask that you would help us to remember the power of the gospel, and that it would give us courage and boldness to share it with the world around us. I just ask as we go into this week that you would be with us and keep us safe and just help us to be lights and beacons for you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you very much. See you next week.